I'll give you a bit of a warning in advance. Um, I'm going to try to get too excited today because when I get excited, I start coughing and my voice goes. So um, <clears throat> if I get too excited, you'll know what's coming uh, next. Uh, we're going to continue uh, this really short series looking at lessons that we can learn from the life of the prophet Elijah. The bulk of his story is found in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. And so I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles, whether that's a phone or a hard copy, to go ahead and find 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. Uh, there's, there's such a relevant message for us, even from events that occurred um, close to uh, 3,000 years ago. Uh, God is faithful and at work. But before we jump into 1 Kings, uh, we're going to go even earlier in the story of what God's been doing for humanity. We're going to go back to Genesis. Uh, Genesis is our book of origins. God uses the book of Genesis to tell us how his relationship with humanity began. We see the story of creation. Uh, we see that humankind has this treasured place uh, in God's creation. We're made in his image. Uh, we see in the early chapters of Genesis just how beautiful life is with God and how broken life is when we disobey God and sin enters the world. We see in the book of Genesis how even when sin enters the world that God pursues relationship with his people. He starts making a way to, to build the bridge over the gap that sin creates to draw humanity back to himself if we'll believe. And a big part of that story uh, is the story of his people. Uh, in Genesis chapters 11 and 12, we see the story of God's people uh, kind of begin, what we would call the nation of Israel. Begins with a man named Abraham. Abraham who's old. His wife Sarah who's old. And God promises that he's going to build a great nation that will reveal his goodness, his greatness, his blessing, his glory to the world through this old man and his old wife. In fact, he tells them that, that their uh, offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And, and here's this old couple thinking, how on earth are our offspring going to be numerous? We've never been able to have children. And yet God works in the miraculous way and he supplies life to Sarah. Uh, she gives birth to a child named Isaac. And as Isaac grows, uh, God continues to remind Abraham of his promise. But it's not without testing. God tests Abraham and Sarah in a profound way. God calls Abraham to be willing to sacrifice his son. Now we know as we look at the rest of the story that God was faithful to supply a sacrifice for Abraham. But Abraham's faith is on full display because he fully trusts that God will supply a sacrifice other than his son. In fact, when you read the account in Genesis chapter 22, it's riveting. Here are Abraham, uh, his son Isaac. They're making their way up Mount Moriah. Uh, Isaac's asking questions as, as any young boy probably would. Hey, hey dad, um, we have wood for the sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham reminds his son, hey, God's going to provide the sacrifice. He's going to take care of us. He's going to see to it that we have what we need. And so the journey continues. They get to the top of Mount Moriah and, and when they're there, he builds the altar. Isaac and Abraham build the altar and um, there's still no other sacrifice. And so then you have this ominous scene where uh, I, uh, Abraham bounces his son Isaac to the altar. Um, Abraham's hand is raised preparing to sacrifice his son and God calls out to Abraham and says, hey, uh, the sacrificial ram is stuck in the thicket. Uh, kill it instead. And, and, and Abraham worships God there on the mountain. He actually renames the place. He calls that mountain 
Yahweh, Yireh. Hebrew for the Lord will provide. The Lord will see to it. And the renaming of that place on Mount Moriah, Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide, the Lord will see to it, actually has become a way that generations of God's followers and disciples of Jesus have looked to God and they've called him Yahweh Yireh, the Lord who provides. You maybe don't hear it that way. Maybe you hear the word Jireh um, as made famous by Maverick City's worship song, Jireh that he provides, that he is more than enough, that he sees to it what we need. And we, we've since learned as people study Hebrew that Jira is not a faithful uh, pronunciation, but it's what's kind of stuck with us. The proper way to say it is Yireh, Yahweh Yireh. He's the Lord who provides. Why do I take you back to Genesis? Because we're going to see in 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19 that God remains the God who provides. He remains Yahweh Yireh. One of the themes that stands out to us in 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19 is that the Lord provides again and again. A continually unfolding story since the beginning from decade after decade to century after century to millennia after millennia is that God continues to provide for his people. Abraham obeyed God. He submitted to him and he saw God's faithfulness. He saw God provide. And as we submit to God and we remain obedient, we see his Provision. The question I want you to wrestle with as we jump into 1 Kings this morning is, do you trust him? Do you believe that God is good for it? Do you believe that God provides? Do you believe that God supplies? Do you believe that he is still Yahweh Yireh, that he provides for us, he supplies for us, that he will see to it that you have what you need? As, you, as, as we jump into 1 Kings 17, just a little bit of backstory if you weren't with us last week. When we get to 1 Kings 17, the climate among God's people, Israel, is um, it's awful. Um, it's broken. Uh, the people have turned from God who created them, who made them, who's provided for them, who's led them uh, to worshiping Baal, this false God, this made-up God, this fake God, and this goddess Asherah. The people who are supposed to bring his blessing, bear his name, show his goodness, show what life is supposed to be, how it was intended to be lived, have totally abandoned God. They've totally abandoned their faith. And there remains only a faithful few, a faithful minority, and among them is uh, Elijah. We saw last week that one of the themes in this passage is devotion. It's obedience. Like time and time again, Elijah obeys, and time and time again, the, the people as a whole uh, disobey, and that God's calling us not to put our trust in the things of this world, in the false idols of our day, because we, we're living in the land of Baal. Now, we don't worship Baal by that name, but there are many of us, many Americans who look to life, look to find life in our wealth. We look to find life in people. We look to find life and hope and joy and peace and protection in a certain economic system, political party, candidate. We look to find life in the things that we can buy or the experiences that we can uh, you know, afford. We look to find life in substances sometimes. And we even like those who worship Asherah uh, will sometimes look to uh, sex and uh, the pleasures of sex to supply the life that we desire. We too lived in the land of Baal. And yet we can be faithful. 
we can remain devoted. We can remain anchored to him. And we can see that even in the land of Baal, God still provides. God is changeless. I love the words of Hebrews. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still is Yahweh Yure. The Lord still provides. In every place we could rename it, every place that you live, every place where you go, every home in which you dwell, every place of work, every school, every sports team, you could see the provision of God. He is Yahweh Yure. And I want to just journey through chapter 17, 18, and 19 to help you see this kind of dominant theme of provision. And along the way, just make some discoveries about God's provision that you can kind of lay hold of and, and take with you today. And uh, we're going to turn first to uh, First Kings 17, verses 2 through 6, and, and see this lesson, uh, this discovery. Uh, our God is a God who provides in unexpected ways, often God supplies and provides in unexpected ways. It's not that God's provision is unexpected, but how he chooses to provide and through whom he chooses to provide is often unexpected. Look at chapter 17, verses two through six. Elijah has already gone to Ahab. He's told him that it's not going to rain until he comes back and says it's gonna rain until God tells him to. And then Elijah flees east of the Jordan. Here's what we read, verse two. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I, will, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. So Elijah flees to the Kareth Ravine, as God has told him. He's obedient. And what does God do there? He provides for him. How does he provide? He provides through ravens who bring him bread and meat in the morning and ravens who bring him bread and meat in the evening. It's unexpected. Why? Leviticus chapter 11, verse 15 tells us that ravens are counted among the birds that are considered unclean. If you read the list in Leviticus chapter 11, you will find that eagles, hawks, vultures, owls are also on that list. What do these birds, ravens, eagles, hawks, vultures, owls all have in common? They at times will feed on the carcasses of animals that have been dead a while, right? Uh, Even this time of year, while eagles prefer to catch uh, their prey live, a rabbit in the field, a snake, fish in a pond or a lake, you will find eagles in our fields this time of year feasting on that possum or that raccoon. Ravens do the same thing. And so for the people of God who were considered, they needed to be holy as God was holy to um, eat things that had eat, et, eaten potentially diseased flesh uh, would, would contaminate them. Equally so, if those birds had brought food in talons and beaks that had touched unclean things, that food would be unclean. And yet how does God provide for Elijah? Through a raven, through an unclean animal. That is unexpected. It's not unexpected that God provided. I'm guessing through Elijah's faith and what we see throughout the account that that God provided for Elijah multiple times. But I'm guessing if I'm Elijah, I probably think that God's gonna do it in a different way. Remember, this is the God who provided uh, a dew on the ground that turned to a flaky bread-like substance called manna. 
This is the God who put clean birds on the ground for his people in the wilderness, quail. And yet now here was God supplying for his needs through unclean birds, through ravens. God doing and God providing through the unexpected. Something else I want you to see here in verse six is that not only does God provide through the unexpected and in unexpected ways, but he often does so with what we need for that moment. Verse six, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Oftentimes, when we cry out for God to come through for us, when we cry out for God to see us and to provide for us, uh, we, we like for him to provide for the next month, the next year. The ravens didn't even provide for the whole day. Like he had to remain desperate and waiting on God for what he needed for the very next moment. Yet God came through in unexpected ways. Do we realize, do we recognize, do you recognize, do I recognize that God still provides in unexpected ways? Here's just a sample of some stories that I've seen unfold in the lives of people in our church and the lives of other disciples of Jesus that I know just in the last three or four months. I, I have, I have, I've heard a story of a woman in our church who had fallen on some hard times she was unwilling to let her friends know that she was really struggling to even have enough food to eat. And God prompted a woman in our church one day, hey, I think this woman probably needs a meal. God placed the thought in her mind. She decided to be obedient. She made a meal for this person. Not asked, not told about her, her position, her situation, and delivered that meal to her home. And when she delivers that meal to her home, that woman says, Man, thank you so much. I had no idea what I was even gonna do for food. That's God providing in an unexpected way. I know a story of a family that's been connected to our church who went through a tragedy and a part of that tragedy um, resulted in tens of thousands of dollars in medical bills. And yet healthcare provider that they were going to canceled $30,000 in debt. That's God providing in unexpected ways. I think of the stories of people that I know in this church who tell me about a text message that came just out of the blue from a friend, from a family member they haven't talked to in months, maybe even years. And it's just the right word of encouragement. Just last week when I was in a, a down moment myself, a friend of ours from Ohio who I had not received a text from in probably four or five months um, messages me out of the blue and tells me how she's listening to our podcast and how the message impacted her. And I'm reminded that God still uses me. God prompts people to make phone calls and send cards. God does the unexpected. God provides in unexpected ways. How has God provided for you in unexpected ways? I can tell you story after story. We could find more evidence even in 1 Kings uh, 17 of God's provision. If we move into the account beginning in verse 7, Elijah gets sent to Zarephath, which is a town in a foreign country. It's the land of Baal. It's where Baal worship has kind of originated, and God continues to provide in unexpected ways. Uh, he goes to the home of a widow, a widow who we're told is starving, a widow who's preparing to make her last meal with a little bit of oil she has left, a little bit of flour, and her and her son are going to eat what's made, and they're going to die. And yet God provides in an unexpected way. Elijah goes and lives with this widow and her son. In that jar of olive oil, 
And that jar of flour never run out. God supplies and God provides in unexpected ways. He's still Yahweh Yireh. But we can look beyond how he supplies in unexpected ways and look in this account of the widow in Zarephath and see how God provides through his people. That's the second discovery I want you to make about God's provision. Yes, he provides in unexpected ways, but he also provides through his people. His people, in fact, one of his primary ways that he provides what we need, comfort, peace, sometimes uh, the provision, the food, the help. When we look into verses seven through 24, we see that as the the drought went on, uh, Elijah remained in Zarephath and some months into the drought, this woman's son becomes sick. Eventually he, he dies and God provides through Elijah to bring healing to that boy. Look at verses 17 to 24. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and he laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. Just hear this honest, vulnerable question from Elijah. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know. Now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. God provides through his willing servant what this woman desperately needed. God provides through his people. God provides through us even when it seems ridiculous. Now, I recognize that I may be um, placing my Western cultural way of thinking on Elijah, um, but I imagine that it seemed pretty ridiculous to Elijah when the thought came to him, hey, I'm gonna gonna heal this boy. I'm gonna look to God and and God's gonna heal and bring back life to this boy. You know, the way I'm going to do it is is I'm going to lay on top of him and squish him three times, right? That seems a little ridiculous to me. And again, maybe I'm just placing my my Western way of thinking on Elijah, but I I would imagine that it seemed really ridiculous. At least it seemed ridiculous to me. And yet through his faithfulness, even when something seemed ridiculous, God provides and he brings life back to that young man. God provides through his people. We see it on display elsewhere. We can move into chapter 18. Uh, I mentioned last week briefly that there's another faithful man in Israel. His name is Obadiah. It's not the prophet we hear about later in the Old Testament, but he's a servant of Ahab. And and listen to how God provides through Obadiah. Chapter 18, verse one. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. 
Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Look at this description. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had done what? Supplied. He supplied them with food and water. God provides through his people. Sure, God provides when, when it, even when it seems ridiculous. God provides even when it is a risk to us. Jezebel, this queen who has such a horrible reputation, is trying to kill the Lord's prophets. Likely because Elijah's the one that said no rain was going to come. Now we're three and a half years into a drought. She wants to see anybody that promotes the worship of Yahweh dead. And yet here is Obadiah, the king and queen's servant, disobeying that palace order to protect and to provide for God's people. And again, we see this emphasis on how God provides through his people. Often, the conduit that God uses to bring his blessing, his help, his hope, his peace, his comfort to those that we live in and around, near, is is his people. Do you and I recognize that God wants to use us as his conduit? That God wants to provide through you. God wants to use you. And God uniquely places each and every one of us in, in, in environments every day where, where only you can bring his blessing. Only you can show somebody what life is intended to be like through how you speak and how you serve and how you help. God wants to provide through you. And so God is in the habit through his spirit of prompting us all the time to see someone, to walk across the room, to send a text, to make a call, to write in a card, to give a gift. It's why sometimes you're sitting in a restaurant and, and, and you look out and you see this couple or you see this person or you see this family and like something in you is like, maybe I should buy their meal. God wants to use you to provide. It's why, why some of you give ridiculously generous gifts to people for reasons you're not fully even aware of, but God has placed somebody on your heart and your mind and so, so you wanna help make a difference. So God provides through you. Something we have to understand even as followers of Jesus is that the spirit is not the only one provoking thoughts and prompting us to do things. There's an enemy at war with us. He will deceive us and and, and he will harass us with thoughts. And so we as people need to quiet ourselves. We live in a world full of distractions. Every one of us is tempted by them. Some of us are tempted in a moment of stillness to turn on the TV because we want the distraction. Some of us are tempted in a moment of stillness just to go do one more work, to, uh, to do one more job, to go take care of one more chore. Some of us in a moment of stillness are, 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 are tempted to take out our phones and just scroll through social media. And before we know it, 20 minutes is gone, 30 minutes is gone, an hour is gone, and we can't even remember what we've seen. Some of us are tempted to just spend the last hour or two of our day watching reels and TikToks that our friends and our family have sent to us. But if, if we will be people who will seize those moments and instead of allowing our minds to be taken away by distraction, just to rest and listen. God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to help? How do you want me to live? If we'll be people who immerse ourselves in God's word, he, he will show us whether that voice is his or the voice of something else. 
because we'll know what honors him. We can test it by his word and then we can courageously respond to the promptings of his spirit and God will provide through us to help other people. Uh, many of you or some of you may be aware that um, uh, this is the third Sunday uh, in January and the third Sunday in January is typically recognized as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's, it's, a, it's a day when we celebrate and reflect upon the value of every human life, the value of human life in the womb, growing from its earliest stages, the value of human life in the mother who carries that child, the value of every human life from the young to the aged, the free, the incarcerated, the value of every human life, whether they are disabled or abled, the value of every human life, whether they live in the United States of America or they dwell someplace else on our earth, a different ethnicity, a different race, a different color of skin, that every human life has value because we are made and created in the image of God. So we celebrate that in the month of January. We highlight that on the third Sunday, the, the, the sanctity, the value, the inherent worth that God gives to human life. One of God's primary champions to, to take a message of the value of human life to the world, to provide that message to people, are his people. If you're a teacher, God has uniquely placed you in that classroom, that classroom of students, some of them young, some of them old. And you know, as hard as it is, that your voice may be the only voice of kindness and care and compassion that that child hears as they leave a home of brokenness, abuse, neglect. For those of you that are first responders, our firefighters, our EMTs, our paramedics, our police officers, like God provides through you. When you show up on the scene, hope is birthed in a human heart that maybe they can be saved and maybe they can be helped. God provides through you. God provides justice through you, help through you. God provides through every single one of us. You're uniquely placed in your work, on your video calls, in your inbox, on emails, that you can in some way provide a glimpse of his life. God provides through his people. God wants to provide through you. We see that on, on display here in 1 Kings. He is a Lord who provides. He is Yahweh Hireh. And he provides through in unexpected ways and he provides through his people. And here's the final observation to today and I know we've got to move fast is that God provides through the miraculous. I'm gonna warn you, and it just comes from my own reflections, that this is probably the most unsettling of the way that God, ways that God provides. Because when God provides through the miraculous, it's easy to stand back and be in awe and, and wonder. But when we pray to a God who does the miraculous and we ask him for the miraculous and he doesn't answer how we think he should, it provokes a lot of questions that we have to lay at his feet. But even when he doesn't do what we beg him to do, we can't dismiss all the other miraculous things that he's done. So we know that God does provide through the miraculous. Even when, for reasons far beyond what we can understand, he doesn't provide in the miracle that we seek. In, in 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah comes back to Israel, he confronts Ahab. He challenges 
Ahab and the prophets of Baal to meet him on Mount Carmel. And he says, we're gonna settle this once and for all. We're gonna show whose God is real. And so he challenges 450 prophets of Baal to find a bull, uh, to, to, to build an altar, uh, to put the bull on that altar. They're not allowed to set it on fire, but they need to call out to Baal to consume that offering with fire. Elijah's going to build an altar. He's gonna place his bull on that altar. And he's gonna pray out to his God, what we consider the one true God to consume that offering with fire. And so what unfolds in chapter 18 is that the prophets of Baal start first. They, they put their bull on the altar. All 450 of them start kind of limping around, dancing around the altar, uh, calling out to Baal to answer and to uh, consume the sacrifice. And nothing happens. Why? Well, we know the story that Baal's made up. He's fake. He's not real. So, 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 so he's not going to send fire from heaven because he doesn't exist. Elijah's got a lot of confidence. So Elijah starts taunting them. This is kind of a fun passage. Uh, verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Maybe your God's hard of hearing. Surely he's God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or maybe he's busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now, many commentaries look at this phrase, that maybe he's deep in thought or busy and they, they say that maybe he's off in the bathroom taking care of business. Maybe your God is not all that spectacular that he's got to use the bathroom and he checks out for a few minutes. Uh, maybe he's like a guy who goes into the bathroom and the wife wonders, why are you in there for so long? He's taunting them. And they continue to shout louder and they slash themselves with swords they're trying to provoke their God to act, but he's not real, so he doesn't. And so finally, he turns to the people and he says, hey, I want you to do this. Uh, let's put our bull on the altar. And in fact, let's show how great our God is. I want you to dig a trench around it and I want you to pour water on our sacrifice. So three times they pour water on the sacrifice. They soak the wood, the bull, the stones, so much water that fills up the trench around the altar. And then Elijah prays. Verse 36, at that time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it licked up the water in the trench. God provides the miraculous. And as you read the story of God that unfolds in scripture, you see how time and time again, God provides the miraculous. He's a God who parts seas. He's a God who makes manna and quail fall from heaven. He's a God who supplies for his servants through ravens. He's a God who raises dead men back to life, including his own son. He's a God of miracles. And he's still a God of miracles. And there are miracles that happen every day around us. You can read stories of them. One of my favorite things to do, I've told you this before, is to read The Voice of the Martyrs. It's an organization, they send a magazine every month. And when you read these stories in The Voice of the Martyrs, you hear of these followers of Jesus in places that 
um, are completely opposed to Jesus and Christianity. They're arrested, they're abused, but there are always stories where there are people who, who God miraculously blinds people to seeing them, stops a trial from happening. Like he comes through in miraculous ways. It's likely that many of you know stories of people who have been sick and they have been healed in ways that doctors could never explain. God still does the miraculous. God does the miraculous when he, when he plans dreams and visions in people's minds as they sleep to draw them to him. I don't know where you were last year, if you were here, but in, in one of our messages uh, early, probably about this time last year, uh, uh, Tom Sears, who preaches sometimes, shared the story of how um, the organization that he works for came across a couple of people who had been formerly Muslims, who they had both had dreams in the night that God was calling them to go to this specific location. And they woke up and they went there and they found believers meeting in a secret church and they came to faith in Jesus. God still does the miraculous. And again, on the one hand, that causes us to, 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 to sit. We're compelled to, to wonder and awe that, that our God can do the impossible. And yet we also live with that tension. But God, why didn't you heal my loved one? Why didn't you deliver me? So there's this tension. We can't get around the fact that God does the miraculous, but yet we have to trust in his providence that, that his end game is not our life in this world, but our life with him forevermore. Our God is a God who provides. He provides in unexpected ways. He provides through his people and he provides through the miraculous. God still provides. He is still Yahweh Yireh in the land of Baal, in our land. Let's not look to policies and people and financial portfolios and pleasure and substances to supply what only the one true God can supply. Let's look to him and align our lives with him and say, God, you're the one who provides. Let me, look to, let me anticipate how you'll supply for me in unexpected ways. May we trust you to supply for, for what I need in this moment, not, not, not for next month or, or next year, although that's what we often crave. But God, what will you provide for me in this moment? May we look to him and say, God, who are you providing through? And God, how do you want to provide through me? And will we trust and will we cling and will we continue to pray to a God who provides the miraculous? Our God is a God who provides. We need to be encouraged that no matter what happens in our world, no matter how bad things get, no matter how hard things are, that our God is still Yahweh Yireh. He provides. As we close, I want to take you to some words in Philippians. We see all these aspects of God's provision come together in Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Unexpected ways that God would come and take on human flesh, expose himself to everything that we're exposed to, the good, the bad, the ugly, that he would be willing to die for his people who sinned against him and provide life to us, that's unexpected. 
that God would provide through his people? What's he doing in Jesus? He's providing through his son for us. The miraculous, that God would provide through his son who died for our sins and three days later rose again victoriously, offering the life to all who would trust and follow him. He's a God who provides through the miraculous. It's, it's, it's epitomized, it's seen. The pinnacle is Jesus. And here's what Paul writes in Philippians chapter four, verse 19. Hear the confidence and the conviction of the servant, Paul. And my God will meet all your needs. Some versions say supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, in Messiah Jesus, in the rescuing King Jesus. Our God will supply everything we truly need in Jesus. And he has. And he invites us to follow him and to trust him. Really interesting, as you study um, the location of Mount Moriah in scripture where Abraham was called upon to trust God and tested by God and God delivered a sacrifice. Many people believe that that same mountain is now the Temple Mount in Jerusalem where God provided his son the sacrifice where God gave his only son for us. So what's happening in Genesis that, that God is Yahweh Yireh. He's the Lord who provides. He's the Lord who will see to it. It is fulfilled in God supplying his son to see to it that we can have life, that we can live in truth, that we can live for his ways. And so will we be people, if you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, well, we will look to him and we will recognize that nothing in this world, no one in this world will supply what our hearts desperately crave other than the God who's made us. And he has supplied that in Jesus. It's not gonna come through the right girl. It's not gonna come through the right boy. It's not gonna come through the right husband. It's not gonna come through the right wife. It's not gonna come through, through, through any pleasure you can find in this world in any place. It's not gonna come through the right economic system. It's not gonna come through who gets elected as president this fall. Sorry if it disappoints you. It's not gonna come through the right party. It's not gonna come through the right policy. It's only gonna come through the God who made you and loves you and sent Jesus. He provides and he offers every one of us an open invitation to respond to him, to turn to him and to face say, God, I can't find life anywhere but you. So I'm coming to you. I'm turning from living life my way. I'm confessing you as the Lord of creation. I'm gonna follow you in faith. In fact, I'm gonna die to this life. I'm gonna be buried with you in baptism. You're gonna fill me with your spirit. I'm gonna start living for you. We would love to help you find that Jesus who is provided in unexpected ways, through his own life, and through the miraculous. If you want to learn more about following Jesus, we invite you to, to come forward at the end of our service after our closing song. You can talk to me at the front of the room. As Sean has already said, you can scan the QR codes in our building that say, let's connect. You can fill out a connection card and place it in our offering box. You can even email us, connect at lebanonchristian.org, and let us help you find the God who provides. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for just how rich, how beautiful, how exciting, God, how powerful 
your ancient words are as they showcase you the provider. And God, may you as our provider, um, may we see that it's already etched upon us as we're formed in your image. You provided us with life in the first place. And God, may we return to you and trust you. May we allow you to provide through us. That you would provide through us and meet needs in unexpected ways. God, help us trust in your provision. And it's in your name we pray and trust in the name of Jesus. Amen.